So we're going to look at um, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. I'll listen if that's okay. I'm going to read in that's That's okay. No problem. No problem at all. And we're going to look at chapter 2. We're looking at the first part of chapter 2 uh, last time. So we'll just pray first before we start. Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity we have to gather around your word in this way. We pray for those who can't be with us. We pray especially for Jane and Derek. Thank you that Derek, Derek is now out of the hospital today, but he's still very tired. We thank you that um, Enid and Sue have an opportunity to have a, a little break and to go away for the, the Chesterfield um, a couple of two days, I think. And also, we think of um, Adrian and, and Jackie. We're not sure why they're not here, but we do pray for them. And we think of the others who are normally with us, whatever they're doing today, that you will be with them. But for those here this evening, we just ask that you will just help us as we go through this passage and help us to understand more of your word. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Malachi chapter 2, we're going to do verses 10 through to 17. And uh, I've titled this initially, The Broken Promise. So what is happening here is that God's people are living outside of the covenant. So we're going to look at that. In order to approach it, we've already done the first chapter, the first part of chapter 2. But just a little bit more history about where the people of Israel have been and where they are now. So God chose Israel to be the nation, and that's the nation um, through which the Messiah would be delivered, the needy one. The one who was promised. And the Lord made a promise to Israel that the Messiah would come through the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel accepted the promise. And a covenant was made between them and the Lord. And in the process of time, we know what happened to the tribes of Israel. But it turned out that God had singled out the chosen Judah to be the line through which Christ would come. And a lot of we sort now was because of the unfaithfulness of the people down the years and we read all about that. We're at the end of the Old Testament years, so all this history uh, is there for us to see. So after the twelve tribes, the Lord chose the tribe of Judah. He chose a nation with a specific purpose. And through them a gift will be given, given to the world, a needy gift given to all of mankind. So this was a covenant which was a holy covenant given to them by the Lord. So we need to get hold of that. It's a holy covenant. They knew the terms. They knew the aims of the promise. But the people in the days of Malachi, they corrupted it. We've seen it as like entering into lifestyles that moved them away from the terms that they had agreed to. Part of that moving away from the promise was by them marrying women whose godless lifestyle they followed, and whose children were not brought up with the terms of the promise. Now, we've got to remember that this is God dealing with his people who have accepted the terms and conditions of a promise that they had made. Now, unfortunately, the people were not always committed to their side of the promise. And many times, they became unfaithful participants but God would protect his promise. We've got to get hold of that. 
we see the unfaithfulness of man, we see that right the way through scripture, even the best of the scripture characters that we come across, they have failed because they're human. That's why the world needed the Messiah, the promised one. So that's what it's all about. And the people in Malachi's day are turning away from God's law. They have no respect for the Lord. They dishonoured him by offering uh, sacrificial uh, animals that weren't fit to be offered to God and were not part of what they were supposed to be doing. So their worship was being tainted and they showed contempt for God's name. They just ignored what they should have been doing and they came to God with the attitude of this will do. <coughs> you know, we don't have to really, you know, we'll just do it this way. We'll do it our way. And what they offered God offended God by their approach to worship, resulting in the world's rejection of them. But it wasn't only their approach to God that was a problem in this way. When their relationship with God was broken, it actually resulted in the breakdown of the relationship that they had with each other. And we've been seeing that, and you see that as you go through scripture, and we'll see it here in the book of Malachi. So they were, this was their task, to protect the lineage of the Messiah. That was the whole point of God bringing them out from the other nations and separating them from the other nations. And it was God, uh, God's purpose for them. And they were now corrupting the lineage that God had given them to protect. And they were doing it by intermarrying. And by intermarrying, they were introducing idolatry into their life because the nations around worshipped many, many idols, many different gods. And so all this was coming in to the people of Israel and being brought in by them. And this is contrary to the promise that they made to God. And there was a reason that they should keep to this commitment that they had made. We've already mentioned that. The ultimate purpose, what was it? And remember this, this little phrase. It was to make way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Get that? That's what all this was about back in the Old Testament. And now we're at the last book of the Old Testament before we go into the New Testament. To make way for the Lord Jesus Christ, who would enter this world as we do. He would become totally human. We mentioned that last night, mm -hmm. as well as being totally God. So this is what they <coughs> were commissioned to be involved in. And when Israel, that is, Israel as they came out of slavery in Egypt, went across the wilderness and entered the promised land, they went into Canaan. And the nation was told not to marry with the surrounding nations for the very reason that that would corrupt the lineage of the one who was to be, to be a pure lineage to come through. And it was Jesus who would be the one who would be born. So Deuteronomy 7, I'm just going to read a few verses. It's chapter 7, verse 3 and 4. This is what they were told when he entered the promised land, when he went to live amongst realms of the nations where there were all these foreign gods were around them. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you 
and will quickly destroy you. And you've seen that happen. This is why, you know, they ended up in, in captivity in Babylon. You know, you go and see all these things. And in the days of the prophet Ezra, uh, Ezekiel, in the days of the prophet Ezekiel, God gave him a glance into the future of the unfaithfulness of his people. Remember Ezekiel, the one who saw the valley of dry bones, you know, where them bones, them bones, them bones, dry bones. That's this prophet. And one of the things that God showed him, as well as that vision, was also an insight into what was happening and what would continue to happen with the relationship between him, God, and his people, Israel. And you can read a lot of that little bit there in chapter 8 of Ezekiel. So, But if we move on then, and we come into the days of Ezra, similar thing is happening. Ezra chapter 9 deals with the subject of intermarrying, as does Nehemiah 13. So just a few verses this evening from Ezra chapter 9. We'll just read, first of all, the first two verses. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me, and they said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples. With their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, they've taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves, and their sons have mingled the holy race with the people around them, and the leaders and the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. So that's the priests who Malachi's already spoken to, because that's what we're doing here. And this is you know, mingling the, 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 the gods of the nations around them with the true God and coming up with something which was not what it should be. It was being corrupted and not doing it. And on this occasion in the days of Ezra, if you go to the following chapter, chapter 10, you will see that when Ezra spoke to them, the nation repents and they turn back to the ways of the covenant they had between God and them. So, the back of mine for a short time. The following days of you know, Ezra and the other prophets and come down to Malachi, the last one, still happening. It's a share of the final book of the Old Testament. God is showing the priests that they are failing God. By failing God, they are failing the people. And the result being that the people are also failing God. And they're denying that they are. We've already said it, we've seen it, you know, they come up with those questions, you know, God loves you, how does he love us? And then the Malachi's telling me how, you know, we see things happening. So Malachi brings God's message of condemnation, but notice in this little bit now, he doesn't put himself above the people. Paul does this quite a bit. He includes himself with the people. He's not doing the things they're doing, but as being one of them, he's including himself. And this is important. Malachi 2, verse 10 through to 13. Verse 10, this is Malachi speaking. And notice, he says, do we, see that? Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenants of our ancestors by being unfaithful to 
one another. See that all the time. They're being unfaithful, faithful, not just to God now, but to each other. And it's ruining the promise. And what Malachi is saying, he's saying, look, we are all in this together. And it's time for the truth to be told and for the truth to be recognized. Detestable things have been happening. These things are not just happening in the temple. They're not just happening in the city of Jerusalem. They are nationwide. And it's not just the priests who are dishonoring God. He's saying it's also you and I. It's the people. That's how bad it's come. Now, the two questions there that were asked, they're what we call rhetorical questions, questions that don't need an answer, because the answer is already known. What are the two questions? Okay, let's go with it. And then Malachi says to him, Do we not all have one Father? Doesn't need an answer, does it? Don't think it wants to. And then he says, Did not God create us? need an answer because it's true he's laying these truths before him and in verse 11 it says Judah has been unfaithful the detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God now both spiritually both spiritually and morally they're offending God because both spiritually and morally they're breaking the promise that they made. Verse 12. As for the man who does these things, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, that's Israel, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. So the state they're in, bringing sacrifices as they have been doing, God isn't accepting them. Because of the state of mind they're in, they're just bringing anything. You know, folks, you're supposed to give the best of the Oh no, this this land is broke its legs. It's no use to me. I'll keep the good one. I'll give those children some offering. You see what's been happening. And the priests are letting it happen to them. Okay, you know, it's okay. So this is what's happening. And then in verse 13, look what you do. You fill the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because no one, no longer, because he, let's read again, another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts, accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Now, this is a question that we could just spend a few moments to consider. Some of these verses are quite difficult to go through and to expand. But we're just going through them to get a feel for what's happening. So, a question to consider is this. How can the person or the people who've broken their promise expect the one that they have made the promise to be pleased with them because they've broken the promise? How can they? And this is what God is saying to you. They're going into the temple. They're bringing these things which God doesn't want. These damaged animals and presenting them to God and then God is not blessing them. And they're saying, why doesn't God bless us? Do you expect him to? Malachi's already given the example of, would you take these things to one of your higher ups? 
and, and present them to you and expect them to, you know, relate to you, you know, they wouldn't accept it, they'd kick you out. God's purpose for his people was that Judah, Judah would reach the chosen line through which the Messiah would come. Now the importance of the physical and spiritual significance of marriage comes into this uh, passage here very much so. So we go back to Genesis. When God created man and woman, the first institution that he instigated was marriage. That's the first thing God broke down. Because it was important. There's a reason why it's important. Genesis 2, 23, 25. The man said, this, this is Adam's speech. The man said, this is how bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Man, woman, united and become one flesh. That's the covenant that was made in the marriage ceremony. So that is critically important. But why is this so important? Because right through scripture, it's seen as the reflection of something bigger. It's seen as a reflection of the loving relationship between, in this case, God and his people, and eventually God and his church. It speaks of that relationship. So that's where the, the, the higher thoughts are. And what we've got to remember as in, in days in which we live, because it is important, and we need to know this, because of what's happening in, in the world today, where marriage is being desecrated and being treated as something, well, it doesn't matter, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying, you don't have to go into any detail here, you know it. And people say, no, it's fine to do this, and it's fine to do that, and the church should be doing it as well, because we think it's right, and the Bible's all fashioned, <laughs> and you know, it's not part of the day, but it is, because that's still there, that bond was still there, that love is still there. And the example is still that which God has given to man. And the reason is, right through scripture, it seems reflecting the love that God has for you and I, and the relationship that we have with him through Christ. And here's the thing, which the sentence for us to think about. What is acceptable to society is not always seen as being acceptable to God. What is acceptable to society, what can become law, is not always acceptable to God. Now, the days of Malachi, not only were they deserting their betrothed, that's it, that means engaged. Now, engagement in biblical times, it was more than just um, reuniting the betrothed, it was actually before any uh, physical contact was made, betrothal was seen as being married without actually being united, but you're already betrothed, you were engaged. When you come to the Christmas story and Joseph was betrothed to Mary, to break off that relationship would have had to, to have been divorced and he would have had to put her away. That's why. That's why his first reaction was to do when he found out that she was pregnant. And so the angel spoke to him and said, no, no, no. That's why, you know, we think of engagement. And engagement is important. 
what uh, society doesn't cover um, appropriately. Well, I don't know if you believe it or not, you're in that. That's it. Yeah. That's okay, that's, that's right. But in the Bible, betrothed, engaged means that you're already committed. It's a, it's a big thing. Okay. Committed to man and woman. And what they were doing, they were breaking off. The unmarried were breaking off that relationship in order to marry the women from the other nations. Might have been a sexual thing because maybe they looked more attractive, I don't know. But a lot of it would be a political thing where you needed to be involved in that society in order to be involved in the trade guilds and, the, and then you could do all the things that they did and then you'd be worshipping the gods of the nations and that was more or less a natural thing that would have happened. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's a good thing really. So Malachi um, sees this. But it's even worse than that. Because the married men would be washing their wives so they could go do the same. This is the same thing with him. Oh, I'm divorcing you now, wife. Why? Well, uh, go on. And yeah, I know we'll have to go and, you know, bring all these, these false gods into our house and that, but I've still got the temple, you know. But you'd have to. <laughs> you know, you've been bent back, you know what I mean? <laughs> This, this is, they were doing this, that's serious. You know, the news is straight like that, but serious. By doing this, they were breaking the promise that they had made. This acceptance of pagan society through this way of doing it was leading them to worship false gods. And in addition to that, they tried to justify their actions before God. They mixed idol worship with temple worship. And it was coming in, and the priests were allowing this to happen. And the priests were just as guilty, they were doing it. So all this was going on. What was happening to the priests? What was happening to the lineage of the Messiah? It was being corrupted. And it, it wasn't checked. But God was faithful to his side of the promise, and he would make sure that it happened. Despite all this that's going on, and you have to walk through the history of the nation of Israel. But they're blaming the Lord. They're not blessing them. <clears throat> you know, we've already said, how can we break a promise? And they go to somebody and say, that is your own mother. No. Oh, why not? You know, that's, that's, that's way down here. But you get the, 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 the feeling, you know, why should they? And why should God? This is far less and far more important. They questioned God's authority and they continued to do that. This is verse 14. You ask why? This is why aren't you blessing us? You ask why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth, and you have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. See, they had the audacity to say to God, why are you blessing us? And his reply is, you ask me why? When I can see the harm that you're doing, I can see it, I'm a witness. Now that word witness, we know what it means that you, you, you testify to the truth. But in these days, and in black biblical times, <coughs> a witness could be involved 
in the penalty. You see, if the penalty was death by stoning, the witness could legally take part in the stoning. So it's not just a question of I see what you're doing. It's I have the right to judge you, and I have the right to be part of your destruction. That's what it means. So this word witness in scripture, particularly here in the New Testament, carries far more weight than we think it does. Verse 15. Hasn't the one God made him? We belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God see? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. This, the commentators, this is a hard verse to, to unpick um, because of the translation of the Greek and Arabic. So is it talking about God or is it talking about the people? So that little verse, has not the one God made you. Has not the one God made you. It sounds a little bit all in Greek, in main, um, you know, sort of views on this is the meaning behind the statement has not the one God made you is referring to the state of marriage. Has not God made you one? Referring to the state of marriage. And then he's going on and speaking to these people who are dating that promise. He's emphasizing its physical and spiritual importance. Has God not made you one? United to, to your wife. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does one not see? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Turn your mind. Verse 16. The man who hates and divorces his wife saves the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Okay. They are doing violence to the one they should protect. Verse 5. Stay back. And now, they're turning around to God and saying, Why are you doing that violence to us, as it were? Why are you stopping our blessings? And God can turn around and say, God and Ed, what are you doing? You're supposed to be protecting. And the person you're supposed to be protecting, you're not. You're far from it. Malachi 2.17, with a question. You have read the law in your words. Have you really him? He asked. By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. He is pleased with them. For where is the God of justice? So let me know. Let's read it again. Think about it. Think about what's being said. You have read the law in your words. By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or oh, where is the God of justice? Two things here. 
and really it's a contradiction with each other. This people are talking nonsense in a way. But then to ask the question, where is the God of justice? Exposes the self-righteousness and self-belief even in the lives that God's people are living. You see, they convince themselves that because God is a loving God, then he should love everyone, no matter who they are and what they do or what they've done. But when the Lord challenges them about their unfaithfulness and removes his blessing from them, they accuse the Lord of mistreating them, yet hurting them. How serious this is. See, God's a God of love, he loves everybody. But that's the case. Yeah, he loves everybody. But the people love him back. He has love for everybody. But that love, that real love, is only there when we accept the love that he gives to us in Christ through his death, through his resurrection. So, not everybody will experience that love. Why not? Because they do not accept the promise that God has made. And that's what these people do. So, God is a loving God. You're absolutely right. God is a forgiving God. You're absolutely right. He wants to show us what to everybody. He wants to forgive everybody. But he's also a just God. And if he's not a just God, he can't be a loving God. You see that? So, what's the question? Can a God of love hate? Can a God of love hate? The answer is yes, he can. And the answer is yes, he must. He hates sin. Loves the sin. That's the God of love. He hates the sin. If he didn't hate the sin, he wouldn't be just. That's where the God of justice comes in. I've mentioned before judge in our society you know let's talk about wives in Serbia whose wife was on something wrong and she's in the dock and he's the judge as a husband you could say I love you I really do but as a judge I've got to send you to jail now if he didn't do that, then he wouldn't be a God of justice. I'm going to finish up, and this, you know, it's going away. It's a big subject, don't we? It's important that we do. But I'm going to finish with um, that question I just asked. You know, can a God of love hate? The answer is yes. Proverbs 6. I'm going to read to you this 16 through to 19. This phrase has got six things and seven. It doesn't actually mean it's a seven. It might mean, it might not. It's a way in, in, in that culture of saying it's more than this. You know, we might say, um, I'll give you six, but there's more. 
and that's a little phrase that this phrase here there are six things the Lord hates seven that are detestable to him haughty eyes a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked schemes feet that are quick to rush into evil a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in community as a just God who hates those things and he's got so let me just read through them again and just you know see where he's going through the whole body in a way he's starting and going right through us what, what do I hate and it's things that we do sometimes or other in our lives so let's Take that thought with us as we bring round up this little bit this evening. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, and a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That covers a lot, doesn't it? What does that tell us? Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is, you know, hungry uh, eyes. Like proud look. And proud look. And, you know, and above all you. Oh, yeah. That's something that Malachi here did not do when he went to the people to encourage himself. He said, look, I'm not above you. I'm only human like you. We're in this together. And, and that should be what the priests should do. You know, we're in this together. We're human. And what we're doing is wrong, so I'm going to put it right. So, what I'm going to do, and I, I'm going to leave that. If there are any questions, we'll take a few minutes because it's half past eight already. And we start a little bit later. We might have 